Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of the Chase McAndrew podcast. I'm your host, Chase McAndrew. So, I'm like four days late on this, but hell, better late than never, right? Here's my review of the fourth James Bond film, Thunderball. Okay, let's get into this late review and discussion, shall we? Because... I was supposed to do this like four or five days ago, and I just haven't been able to get to it. So, (laughs) this movie is directed by Terrence Young. It's written by Richard Maybaum and John Hopkins, based on the original screenplay by Jack Winningham, and the original story by Kevin McClory, Jack Winningham, and Ian Fleming. It's produced by Kevin McClory, and executive produced by Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. There is a book of Thunderball, but Kevin McClory, who the book I just mentioned, said that him, Jack, Jack Whittingham, and Ian Fleming all came up with the story and wrote the book, or 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 or, the, or excuse me, the screenplay based off Winningham's screenplay. They wrote the book based off that screenplay. And McClory was going to sue Fleming. They were originally going to do a movie, but they couldn't get the... But they just didn't pan out. And this was pre uh, the Eon films. So, after that... Saltzman and Broccoli got the rights, and they made their films. Um, if the fourth Bond film was supposed to be uh, uh, on Your Majesty's Secret Service, that didn't happen. Um, Kevin McClory, who had the rights to Thunderball and Casino Royale at that point in time, or I think I think just Thunderball. Actually, actually, I I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But I think it was just Thunderball. And he went to Broccoli and Saltzman and said, Hey, I wanna I wanna collect I wanna collaborate, I wanna make this movie with you guys. They said sure to make sure that there was no um rival Bond films being made at the time while these movies were just backed where when they just had the biggest hit of the franchise in Goldfinger. So they said, hell yeah, sure, let's do it. So that's why in this movie, Broccoli and Saltzman are not credited, are, are, are not credited, excuse me, as producers. They're credited as executive producers. Um, so that's crazy. Uh, this movie was released on December 21st of 1965 in the U.S., December 29th of 1965 in the U.K., and its original premiere was in Tokyo on December 9th of 1965. First time where the U.S. gets a movie first in the franchise. And I think probably one of the only maybe times in the franchise because the U.K. gets these movies first nowadays all the time. So anyway, do I like this? Do I like this movie? Well, let me start with this. This movie 
of these original four films, from Dr. No to Thunderball. This film I have not seen in probably four or five years. So I was pretty much going into this movie with, I don't want to say no expectations, but I I remembered liking it the last time I saw it. And it was almost like I was going I was going into it with fresh eyes. I hadn't seen it in such a long time. And I remembered really liking this film the last time I saw it. I I rem, I, rem, I remember defending the awesome underwater sequences and the cool villain and the awesome fun of this movie. And just rewatching it, I can say that overall, I think I like the movie, but as I've been saying for the past four or five years, having not seen the film in that long, of the original four films, this is my least favorite. And even now, after watching this movie, it's still my fourth of the original four films. It's a good film that is really, really messy. And is very, I don't want to say boring, but uneventful. And I'm not even talking about the underwater sequences because, as I've said, after rewatching this movie, the reason to see this movie, even if you don't like this movie, the reason to watch this movie again is the incredible underwater sequences. This movie was probably filmed in 1964, early 1965. This is not like today where we can go underwater with camera rigs and, and, and underwater camera rigs. And This is 1965 where they had to like probably film stuff in a tank and put the, put the camera just outside the tank or they had underwater cameras, but they probably took forever to charge up, and they probably couldn't film underwater for very long. So, the underwater sequences of this movie still hold up for me after not seeing this film for a couple years. Sean Connery as Bond is pretty damn good again. This is maybe the movie where he gets to be the most Bond. The most of the character that we know. He is very much, even more than in Goldmine, he is very, very much a suave ladies' man who is also a badass spy. Except for one thing, this movie, I, I'm i not one to ever really comment on stuff like this, 
But my God, in Dr. No, it looked great. In From Rush With Love, it looked great. In Goldfinger, it looked great. But Sean Connery's hair in this movie just bothered me. I don't know why. It looked like a lifeless mop on his head that was combed. There was literally nothing spectacular about it. And like I said, I'm not one to be like, oh, hair. No, I I usually am like, okay, I don't know why his hair bothered me throughout this entire movie. It was just kind of combed over nicely like nobody really cared. They just combed it over and that's about it. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. I, I know. But, yeah. Um, so like I said, Con- Connery plays Bond. He's still granting the role four movies in. Um, uh, Claudine Auger, who actually passed away late last year as well, so R.I.P. to her, uh, plays Domino, the main Bond girl of this film. She was dubbed by Nikki Vanderzil, who makes one of her first appearances in this franchise. Um, Aldolfo Celli, as Emilio Largo, the main villain of this film, is very good. He is also dubbed by Robert Reedy. Robert Reedy, don't know how to say his name, but from what I could see, um, Aldolfo was doing a very good job, and Reedy or Reedy, how like I said, how I say his name, does a good job with the dubbing, even at times where you can't see his lips moving, or you can see his mouth, you can see that his mouth is moving, but it's from behind, like you see the back of his head, and it seemed to me that Robert did a good job overdubbing him in those scenes. Uh, Luciana Paluzzi, Paluzzi, as Fiona Volpe, the main henchwoman of this film. Um, she is very good in this movie. I don't think she's in it enough. And I'm sorry, she is just one of the most beautiful women in in all of Bond. She is drop-dead gorgeous. This woman is just, I mean, she is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And then you have Rick Van Nutter for his third appearance in four films as Felix Leiter and for the third time in four films being recast. Because apparently the producers think that they can just recast Felix Leiter after in every film up to this point. And let me tell you, if I'm remembering correctly, 
Rick Van Nutter has to be one of the worst portrayals or one of the worst actors to pro- to portray this character of Felix Leiter. Jack Lord is awesome in Doctor No. Secklinder is great as him as as the character of Fe- of Felix in Goldfinger. But Rick Van Nutter looks like an average Joe just walked onto the set and they said, here, put on these sunglasses. Let's kind of push your hair back a little bit and just say these terrible lines. Because he has some really bad lines in this movie and he doesn't really deliver them that well either. The opening to this film, the pre-title sequence, is actually really good. It's Bond attending a funeral of an enemy of his um, who actually killed two of Bond's colleagues. He goes to the... and and he follows the widow home and then you realize that it's a ruse that the widow is actually the real man, the real enemy of Bond's, uh, Bouvier, Bouvier, however, however you say his name, had a really good fight with Bond. It's very much a good hand-to-hand combat, punching, uh, kicking, throwing over furniture fight. It's pretty good. It's sped up a little bit, but overall, I think it's a really good action sequence to start off this movie. And then Bond kills... Um, does he kill him? I believe he does kill him. Um, no, he doesn't kill him. Excuse me. He does not kill him. He has the fight with Bouvier, Bouvier and he uses the jetpack the jet to get out of the mansion or the house. This jetpack is awesome. It looks like something right out of Star Trek. And I've been saying this for years. You can't make Sean Connery look like an like a dork, but somehow, some way, this movie kind of did. Once he puts on the helmet before he puts on the jetpack, I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look good on you, Sean. And then he puts on the jetpack and he flies away and he's holding on to the to the handlebars and all that, and I'm just like, oh boy, Sean, you look kind of, you kind of look like a dork. Kind of look like a nerd. Hell, he kind of looks like me if I was to wear something like that. But that's okay. But that's okay. Anyway, that jetpack's pretty cool. He flies off, gets in his DB5 with his assistant, and they, and they get away from the, from Bouvard's associates, and it's an awesome opening sequence, good opening fight, cool jetpack action for a second there, fun little sequence when he sprays some water or gas or whatever, and he makes all of the, all of Bouvard's, um, hench, hench, slip and run away, basically, it's pretty funny, it's pretty good. And then, and then the title, and then the opening titles happen with Tom Jones singing Thunderball. 
it's a awesome looking opening titles. It's a great song. It's one of the most underrated songs, I think, in the entire franchise. I don't think it gets nearly enough love as it should. But I really, really enjoyed the opening title and the opening title song, or the pre-titles and the opening titles and the song. Margo as the villain, for me, is a very underrated Bond villain. He is so he he is so under talked about, and it's it's a shame that he starts off as a cool menacing. I don't want to I don't want to say a copy of Goldfinger, but he kind of is. But he's I almost like him more than Goldfinger. And it's a shame that for about what seemed like 40 minutes, but it might have been like a half an hour in the middle-ish of this movie until the beginning of the third act, he just kind of disappears. And I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. Um... So, the movie starts out with with a guy named Lippe, Lippy, something like that. He's a Spectre agent. And he's, Bond has checked himself into a spot treatment health center place to try and improve his health and everything like that. And it's 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 not bad but the stuff just kind of feels a little hokey that this that happens in this it's bond finds out that this guy lippy lippe is a bad guy and Bond is getting a spine adjustment. Um, this spine adjustment machine or whatever. And after a series of events where they kind of, it's kind of like a Tom and Jerry thing, how they kind of like, like, okay, I'll get you here, I'll get you here. Um, Connor's on this. Spine adjustment, spine traction machine thing. And it's kind of rocking him back and forth. And you have some really terrible speed up and some really bad looking and sounding dubbing. And again, again, it's the 60s. So it's kind of going to be like that. But today it makes the movie look really toke, just really cheesy and really hokey. But it's it's not a bad scene. It just it's a sixties movie. So 
so I can kind of forget it. And I think overall that would probably kind of hurt if you're rocking back and forth on this spinal machine. So I can forgive it. But the rocking back and forth does kind of feel a little weird. It it does look a little weird, and it probably didn't. And it, like I said, it probably doesn't feel great. I went on for way too long with that, but that's okay. Um, then enter Luciana Paluzzi as Fiona Volpe. And she's a Spectre agent as well, working with Lippy. And you realize that at this help spa, that this man who has these bandages that is kind of roommates with Lippy has gotten his face reconstructed to look like a man that Fiona Volpe is, I guess, trying to trick, and they kill this, this, he's a, he's a pilot for a, um, jet, I'll call it a jet, I guess, um, and the, the man pretends to be this pilot, and He's with this movie. The basic plot of this movie is the main villain Largo works for the organization Spectre. He gets his hands on a couple of nuclear or atomic bombs, excuse me, some atomic bombs, and Bond has to stop him. But the movie has all of these other threads that I don't necessarily think 100% work together. And I don't think that 100% was maybe the right thing to do for a movie like this. Because once you get to the 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 guy who is pretending to be this pilot and once the conclusion of that the the fake pilot guy who had his face reconstructed and once that storyline kind of ends, it's it's just like, why couldn't Margo do it himself? If that makes sense. It kind of felt unne- unne- unnecessary to have this extra character in there to kind of put him in there and say, okay, you're going to tend to be this pilot, right? your face reconstructed and all that, and you're going to take two years of your life to, 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 to 
become a pilot and all this stuff and know how this guy works and know how this guy how how you know no every everything everything that this guy that this pilot does they either take two years of your life to do all this stuff and and it just kind of goes nowhere it's fine but it's just i just didn't love it And then you have Bond, who's getting into contact with Largo, and him and Largo pretty quickly, they sort of understand separately. They both kind of were like, okay, yeah, Largo's a bad guy. Okay, Bond, yeah, he, he, he's a spy for, for MI6. And what's cool about this part is they both they both kind of play coy about it. They're both like on the on the on the inside. They're like, okay, I know that you're my enemy, but I'm still gonna pretend like I don't, which is cool. But the scenes of that, I think, could have been written a little better. And where I do, where I do think overall, um, the the acting in Connery and the dubbing in Righty are is pretty good. I don't a hundred percent think that the the chemistry between Connery and the voice, the the voice actor, the voice dubber, necessarily works. Where I think when he's not in a scene with Connery, I think Wright does a pretty good job with the dubbing. But I think when he's with Con, when when Largo's with Connery, it kind of feels like he's trying a little too hard to make Largo sound like he's not a bad guy. It just, it's weird. I just, I don't know. It doesn't exactly work for me. Um, The movie also... Is, is infamous for these underwater scenes of snorkeling and scuba diving and all these other things. And like I said in the beginning, they are all breathtakingly beautiful. They all look great underwater. But the the on-land sequences, the, the, the sequence that the... The majority of this film that's not underwater, the on-land parts, all look super bland. It just kind of looks okay. And 
not very spectacular in any way, which I was saddened to see that because the underwater stuff looked so good. And then I just... I really, really liked this movie the last time I watched it. And this time really makes me sad that I didn't like it nearly as much as I thought I did. And that makes me sad. Because this movie is really... At a lot of points, a lot of fun. It's a good adventure. And then there are some points with some dialogue and some other things that is just, they're just kind of flat. The writing isn't nearly as good. The adventure, even though probably of the four movies, to my knowledge, this is probably the biggest Plot-wise, because it's atomic bombs blowing up, you know, the world, basically. And this movie somehow kind of feels a little smaller scaled than I think it should. And I'm not going to lie, it took me a couple times to watch this movie today. And I'm kind of saddened by that. Because this is hailed in by some as a really fun movie, really good classic Bond movie, and, uh, and others who just are like, this movie's boring, the underwater sequences are just are drag on. My favorite parts of this movie were, were the underwater stuff. And the the on-land stuff was good. They were good. They weren't spectacular. It all just could have been better. There's a lot of fun near the ending of the film. There's a big underwater sequence of 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 Largo's men versus the US N- navy what they call frogmen you're basically parachuters who go under underwater and they're just badasses and there's a great action sequence underwater it's actually pretty violent you see a lot of harpoons getting shot into men on both sides. You see everything. I should, I should, you, you, you see every little thing underwater that you maybe shouldn't see. Even though I know it's a movie, there's still some blood in there. It was kind of cool watching that because. There's a couple times where guys get 
they get stabbed in the back or something, and there's some there's some really really like scary sequences where you know they're dying underwater. You know, a guy's regulator gets shot, and it like blows up, and this guy's like freaking out. And and it's it's like wow, look at that. There's a couple times where where the the um the regulator or the uh oh what's it called the breathing the mask not the mask the uh the regulator wire I guess I don't know what to call it the um. The, uh, oh, let me look it up here. My God, I'm losing my mind. The hose, the the regulator hose is, um, is, is, like, shot at or cut. And it's like, those guys are going to die down there. It's actually pretty violent for a movie like that. Uh, like this in the 60s. Uh, like, you see guys get hit with harpoons, and you, and you see them, like, like you see them, get, you see them, you, get, you see the harpoon go right through them. It's pretty good. It's a pretty, it's a pretty long battle. And it's a pretty good battle too for an underwater movie, for or an underwater sequence. Yeah, it's pretty good. I couldn't tell you what it would be like to have to film those scenes. That must have been a nightmare for Terrence Young. Must have been a nightmare. Overall, I think a lot of the action sequences of this movie are really good. The dialogue—I don't know if it was a, if, if if Richard Maybaum took a lot of the writing from the book. Richard Maybaum and John Hopkins, excuse me. I don't know if they took a lot of the writing from the book or the screenplay. But if they did, I caramba. The, the, the dialogue needed a, maybe a couple more drafts to polish it up. I just, I don't know. I wanted to like this movie a lot more than I did this time around. I still think it's a good movie. The action sequences are pretty good. The underwater stuff is a lot of fun. There's still a lot of speeding up on the couple car chases and a boat chase. But yeah, overall, this movie is just kind of of the original four and yes I know I know Connery did 
five original films. But of these original four, these early Bond films in the early to mid-60s, I've always thought that this is probably my least favorite. But now I'm kind of like, yeah, this is definitely my least favorite. It's still a good, fun movie. But overall, I have to give this movie... I'm going to give it a B-. And and I'm kind of saddened by that. Because I know a lot of people really like this movie. And a lot of people don't like this movie. I'm one of those people that... I like this movie. But it's just kind of messy. It just kind of doesn't all fit together. A lot of the storylines, I think of story threads that are that are in the way of the main plot maybe could have been taken out. Like there's a shot where where Bond and a villain are are together and henchmen are surrounding them and one of the henchmen is behind is 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 in front of them behind a curtain pointing a gun at them. And once Bond realizes that he has henchmen all around him and the and the henchmen and, and the henchmen behind the cur- behind that curtain with the gun pointed at him, the editing is like a is like in Taken Three that everybody uses when Liam Neeson runs when he runs to the gate Climbs up the car for a second and then flips over the fence. And there's like 16 shots in like five seconds of film. It's like that. Like it cuts to the. It cuts to these three or four groups of henchmen. And then, and then they got the gun. It's like a second or it's like a second or, or, or like half or like half a second each. And then it cuts to Connery with the villain for half a second and just keeps doing that for a good, like, 15 seconds. And I'm just watching this scene and I'm going, ooh, that's not very good. That was not edited well. I think they really needed to let it flow where... You're... You're on Connery and the villain. And then you cut slowly to each henchman group and the guy with the gun behind the curtain. And you're just kind of slowly doing it. Except in this movie, it's... Henchman group one, two, three, four, five. Bond to the villain, one, two, three, four, five. Bond to the villain, one, two, three, four, five. Bond to the villain... Gunfires, and it's really, really messy. It's like it's like watching a mon like like action sequences of mon like a montage of action sequences. Except if every if if you have five actions, if you have five 
action sequences in a montage. And you you, you got to get through these five action sequences, but you only have like 15 seconds to do it. You put all these, and you put these action sequences on screen, like you have a guy going to climb on top of a mountain and fighting a guy on top of the mountain, him going to China and fighting some guy in China, having him go on a car chase and on a boat chase, and then him in a running chase, and you and you and you literally film all those for five seconds each. And then it's 25 seconds of film, but five seconds of those is that five-second montage of these five action sequences. That's what it felt like. It was like, no, 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 focus on Bond for a second. Hold on Bond. Let the tension build for a second. Then cut to maybe one or two of the henchmen circling them. Then go back to Bond, then show the uh, the the other henchman, then then show Bond again, and then go back to the to the henchman with the gun behind the curtain. But this, but but this is just group one, two, three, four, five, Bond, Bond, one, two, three, four, five. It's like it's like so rapid. And I was in, I was like, oh, this is whoa. I, I did not like it. So anyway, like I said. I can have fun with this movie, but overall, not having rewatched it in a couple years, I think kind of opened my eyes to the flaws of this film. Because if this was me a couple years, five, four, four, four or five years ago, I probably would have given this movie a B plus or an A an A minus. Where, like I said earlier, I'm going to give it a B minus. I I can give it a B minus. I can slightly recommend it. You might like it more than me. I wish I would have liked it a little bit more. But I can see how some people like it. I can see how some people don't like it. This is kind of a mixed bag Bond film for me. Um... It's good, but it's messy, and I'm kind of saddened by that. I kind of, I I really, really am. I really, really am. So that is my review of the 1965 Bond film, the fourth Bond film, Thunderball. Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you all later. Bye.